When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back, and we are back for another episode. This is the HTML All The Things Podcast. Packed episode this week because it's related to to the famous, I'm just going to call it a famous series. I don't even know if it is famous. The famous series, Full Stack Struggles. Um, my recent learnings, my recent uh, coding session, which I got a lot done. Even Mike said that. My mentor said that. So I, uh, I'm i not just making that up, but a lot got done. And so it, it brought this idea to life. Can you learn JavaScript through only project-based learning? Because that's kind of what I'm doing. And we'll get into all that stuff in a bit here. I did want to mention, though, before I kind of go right into the episode, that there's a very ominous and there's even spaces around it. I'm looking at our show notes. I copied the old one. And there's just, do we need websites anymore? And it's surrounded by white space in our episode. It's it's because we we did a brainstorming list of all the of a titles for last week, I think, or whenever it was episode. And um, do we need websites anymore is just like ominously floating there as we talk about how to make websites. So that's a little bit scary or something. I don't know. It's a little weird, uh, but if you want to listen to us get really deep into it, you can listen to, I think that this will be two weeks episode ago, our website's old news, are they going the way of the newspaper, where we actually dive into, do we kind of need websites anymore? Um, and yeah, it, it was a little bit like, it is a little bit ominous. So let us know what you think of that episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's a bit ominous, but it's uh, all about... The Vision Pro, where tech's going, um, VR, AR, AI, all that stuff and how that pertains to the web. So go check that out. But if this if this episode, Can You Learn JavaScript Through Project-Based Learning, sounds interesting to you, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And I have sort of a few segments here. I don't usually introduce the segments, but I thought it'd be, I thought I, I should in this case, because I'm going to talk about like what is project based learning, because we've broken it down into two types. And there's a lot of nuance here. So I do want to say that you might have a different uh, experience or a different learning style than what we're going to talk about. Like, of course, like this is just our opinion from our experience. So I, I've broken down project based learning into sort of two types of project based learning. We're going to do an analysis of each one of them. We're going to talk about which one is better. And then we're going to uh, talk about what skills sort of apply to any sort of project based learning from our experience. And then we're actually going to a- answer the question. This is a thing I talked to Mike about before the episode started was I actually wanted to have a segment that answered the question of the episode title. Can you learn JavaScript through only project based learning? We're going to have a breakdown of Mike's opinion of my opinion as well. So let's do it. So what is project based learning? Just like it sounds, it's learning web development in this context, learning web development um, or learning a web development concept by tackling a project head on. So you've decided, hey, I would like to make a to-do app for myself. How do I do that? I'd like it to be a web app. And boom, your project-based learning, that's an example. But there's two types here, which I wanted to break down. I'm calling this one type number one, which is it can be coupled. So the project-based learning can be coupled with learning theory. So you're mixing the the theoretical learning, the readings and the lessons, and you're mixing in some examples, some real world examples, and usually projects as well, like actual projects to reinforce these lessons. So you can kind of see this, and I'll mention this later. You can kind of see this on sites like W3 Schools as an example. You can see it on MDN to an extent as well, where you're, you go in and you're reading about a topic. And then there's a bit of a playground there where you can go in and you can try to play with the the new CSS property. If that's what you're learning, you can go play with that, try to break it, try to see what works in your browser, what doesn't, those type of things. But then there's also things like free code camp where you do learn the theory, but then they will eventually, as you get more experience, give you full on projects. There's examples to work on as you go. And then it's like, okay, you've done enough examples. You've done enough theoretical learning. Here's like an actual project to work on or something that you can actually make for your own portfolio. That's type number one. 
So it, it it's still like a learning process, but you kind of really want to do projects. You want to have some hands-on. And type number two is some people will just do project-based learning, meaning that they are literally just tackling a project head-on. Usually, they'll have little to no experience, and they will only really refer to theory, meaning the readings or the concepts or like the MDN articles, let's say. They'll only really refer to them whenever they get stuck. And they're so they're just hitting it hard. They want that project done, and that's what they're there for. Now, why discuss this? You know, this sounds this sounds obvious. This sounds like something that we've talked about a million times, and we have here and there, but multiple points and multiple questions have been brought up recently on this show in other episodes, and two big ones that stood out to me are related to this, and that is the first one: How should you learn web development? If you're an experienced programmer, we've mentioned this because Mike and I always preach the three pillars, HTML, CSS, JS, but then it came up that, hey, if you're like a C sharp programmer, if you're a desktop app programmer or something, do you really need to know the pillars? Can you just go right into a framework like your learning experience might be different? So you might just go and be and do this project based type number two learning where you just go and you tackle a project because you already understand thinking like a computer, programmatic logic and those type of things. And then also the Full Stack Struggles series that I've been producing recently where I've been struggling between, you know, do I stop my work because I'm stuck and do I restart to try to do it simpler? Do I, you know, refactor a whole bunch of stuff? Do I stop what I'm doing and literally don't touch it again until I complete a course? What type of course? Do I do a full course? Do I just do a course on this little piece? And so it is this struggle of I'm project-based learning, but... There's roadblocks along the way, and sometimes those roadblocks are more severe than just, I'm going to quickly Google it. Okay, I got it. And Googling is actually going to be a big part of the episode later, but we'll cover that when we get there. What's interesting to me about this breakdown is that like, type one, I think, is the happy path, the path that someone would choose to do usually, right? Like this, if you're going, if your mindset is, I need to learn web development to get a job. Type two, I feel like people do without considering the implications of learning development. Usually how I see type two working with, you know, people just jumping into a project and tackling it and just, you know, struggling through uh, is because they want to build something, right? Like in their mindset is like, they're not, their mindset isn't, I want to learn web development. It is, I want to build this app that I thought of that I think will help someone, right? A lot of times if you're working in a a different industry, like maybe you're a car mechanic and all of a sudden you're like, well, what happens if I have an app that I can use on my phone that can like identify what type of engine this is, right? Like th- this is the kind of thought process that happens with some people that are more like innovative and uh, like to think outside the box. And then they're going to go down the rabbit hole of building that without any prior knowledge, just because they need this application for themselves. It doesn't exist. And they inherently go through this type two version of project-based learning and they tackle and they struggle and they kind of clobber something together. And at the end of the the day, like once they finish the project, they have learned a lot in the web development world. Like they've probably learned how to deploy something. They've probably learned how to use JavaScript in a certain way or use PHP. Uh, Do they, are, are they intending to use those skills in the future? Maybe not. Right. Like, so their goal was to complete this app so that they can like use it, maybe give the, the to their friends, maybe eventually like be like, okay, well, now it, it is getting better. Maybe hire someone or learn a little bit more deeper. But it's interesting to me that like I've seen this happen many times where like you look at an app that was kind of clobbered together and it works start to finish. The standards and practices that are made that, that are used to build it are usually like kind of iffy. Um, in this type method, because you're just kind of taking this code snippet from here, you're taking this over here and you're putting something together, but overall it's really, it, you're, you're going to be learning a ton, like no matter how, how you get about it. And I don't know, like, it's just an interesting, uh, it's an interesting approach to learning. The clobber together approach really always makes me remember the uh that nomad site where i remember watching this guy talk about it's a pretty famous nomad site where people want to like work wherever and they work from a laptop and they 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 have a no more nomad lifestyle with traveling and stuff and so he made this nomad site and i think he's 
he's done a bunch of other projects as well, but he did a talk about this particular site. And he was talking about how he, he, I think he at one point even said, I don't really know how to code. I just sort of like grab things and throw it in. And he said, like, I'll go and because I'm, because this site blew up and because it's so popular, he has sort of coding buddies that come in and they go, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> this is all messed up. Like, don't do it like this type thing. And I guess he does the, the odd fix or whatever. I don't know all the nuance there, but, um, it always ma- makes me remember that because I always think, you know, you could do this, you can do a project, you know, r- like to the, like to the textbook, you can just throw the book at it and really just do everything exactly like you should, or as close to exactly like you should, like as you think, or as you're, as you're aware. And then that project could just flop. And it's like, man, how much more time did you spend trying to do everything just so perfect when it got shut down anyway? And so that's not me saying, hey, just go out there and do whatever the heck you want. That's, you know, obviously we, we should not do that in production, but it is a question of sometimes is good enough. Okay. And is perfect, uh, is perfect or imperfect. And you're aware that it's imperfect. Is that okay? And the answer to that is yes, depending on the context. A, a, one context in which it's not okay is like security. Like you should probably do security as perfectly as you possibly can. But are your class names, like your CSS class names, a little inefficient? Maybe. Well, is that is? Are you really going to delay a launch because of that? Probably not. And then you can fix that later. That's an example. So what, out of these two types, I'm going on the next part of the show here. Out of these two types, which type is better? And this is where a lot of sort of, you know, it depends comes in, right? A lot of nuance. And that is, the first thing is, it depends on the learning style of the student, on the person learning. Do they, are they able to self, self-learn? self Like, are they able to study things themselves? Are they able to just jump right in? Is that what they want to do? Are they going to get super anxious to not know what to do? And then they're going to have to refer to or go to a traditional school. Like, is that... Is that where they're at? So it really depends. The next thing is, is the complexity and the scope of the topic. So um, if you're in tech, you're already you already might know what to Google. You already kind of understand what's generally going on. You understand that there's servers that things talk to and you you're using your local phone. And so you generally understand what's going on. And web development has a lot to it. At a high level, you have your front end, you have your back end, there's deployments, that deployment goes on to infrastructure, that infrastructure is hooked together by networking, and whereas you don't necessarily need to know all these steps perfectly, it really is a thing that if you are completely new and you look into, hey, I'd like to learn web development, you're going to get flooded with different learning methods, different topics, and you're going to think, oh my god, like, I have to know how to configure servers. I do. I need to do networking, which is rare for web developers, but can happen. Like, do I need to do networking? Do I need to understand what IP addresses are? Like, I'm a you know basically a consumer at this point. I don't even really understand tech too well, and so the complexity and the scope of the topic in relation to where you're at, um, whether it even whether it even is your hobby. Like you might be a big gamer and you understand that there's servers and there's a, a front end and a back end to an extent. And you understand that stuff. Maybe you understand that, but if you don't have any knowledge background, we've all been there where we, we go to help. Usually it's an older relative. We go to go help them. And you're like, well, you have to wait for it to load. And they're just sort of like, what are you talking about? They don't understand what that means. Like, wait, wait for what to load? Like what's happening? Or you'll be like, oh, just refresh that. It should be okay. It's like, what is refresh? So if you're at that stage, then you might not want to go and tackle a project right away. You might want to start reading some theory to get your bearings before you can even say, I'm just going to go create a website. Because the instant they say, let's have a database, it's like, what what does that do? You know, And it's going to become a big problem for you. Uh, The next one is prior uh, experience. We already kind of mentioned this. I'll just kind of glance over it. But prior experience. So any like experience will help. That includes, like I said, for your hobby, if you're a gamer and you understand how servers work and you know how to connect to servers, maybe you've rented gaming servers in the past, maybe you've set up a Minecraft server, just little things like that can help you get your bearings so you understand what a server is and what a little bit of networking does. Um, any prior experience way might help you enough to the point where you can just go right into a project and generally understand what the guide that you're following more than likely is saying. But if you're completely out of the realm, then maybe not. Also, the intent of the project. So are you trying to learn web development to get a job? That's a big question. Or are you just trying to make a website because you don't, you know, you don't need to learn web development. You just need that website 
and you do not want to get a developer involved. You don't want to pay for it. Is this a one-off project even potentially where you just need a landing page or you need a website that is maybe a little more complex than a landing page? And so you're like, man, I just want to know. I just need to get this project done. I don't need to know what JavaScript is. I don't need to know what HTML and CSS are. I just need to make this website. And so like a lot of copy pasting, a lot of maybe even no code tools are going to come into play. And so the intent of the project really does depend. And so is one type better than the other? It really depends on your unique situation and you have to sort of weigh your options. So with that, unless Mike has any comments, we're going to talk about the analysis. We're going to analyze type one and type two. So, yeah, I, I do. Um, I kind of want to jump in and give my thoughts on project-based learning real quick. I think like, I don't think it's a question of like, if you, if you want to do project-based learning or not in this situation, I think it's more like when to dump, jump into project-based learning. Like Matt said, the, if you're coming at it from zero programming experience, jumping into a project might not be your best move, right? If your intention is to get a job down the line, you might want to have a foundational knowledge before you jump into a project. Because if you jump in without anything, you might be clobbering stuff together like we were mentioning before. And there could be security issues. There could just, it could just stunt your initial baseline of coding. It, you could, it could burn you out right away because you just can't figure out what to Google. You can't figure out which path to go down in terms of like how to solve this issue that you're having. And just the chaotic spread shot that you would have to do to complete a project with zero experience. It's like, I'm going to say right now, like you're not going to get a, a very good project done in the end. It might be like working to a certain degree and it might work for you. But if you were to like implement that and ask people to log in and all of a sudden you're storing passwords in plain text, that's a security issue. So you want to be really careful in that situation. So in that case, like I think project-based learning is almost a must for everyone, right? Like everyone needs to do project-based learning, but do you start with project-based learning or do you do your fundamental and then apply project-based learning as you're growing your skills and your theory in development? And for me, I always lean towards that second approach, right? So you, you want to have like your, a little bit of fundamentals and then jump into some, a small little project and then build your fundamentals and jump into a bigger project. And just that back and forth of like building knowledge and project at the same time is going to be the thing that's going to power you forward. Cause you can't like, we've talked about this a million times. You cannot learn web development in pure theory. Like if you sit through a coding class where the teacher is talking to you, talking at you about web development, you're writing notes and you're paying attention. And then you get to the job and you try to code whatever with just those notes, it, you're not going to get anywhere. Like it's not possible to take those skills that you learn from the theory and apply them directly to like an on the job site application. You need to have that practical. And, and this is why any coding class you take in college is always going to have a practical element. Barring the mathematical computer science classes, there are a few computer science classes where you're studying like algorithms and you're more, it's more important for you to learn how the mathematics work of that algorithm. So therefore you might not write code there. That's arguable if that, if that should be the case or not. Like in my opinion, I think it's still important to like, Hey, here's how, here's an algorithm. Here's how it works. Here's the math. Here, write this code that implements the math, right? Like that, I think that's a much more practical approach to project, to, to learning in general. Cause again, you need to get your hands dirty. Like Matt, Matt, Matt was just going through it like this, this yesterday where he was just getting his hands dirty and he was coding and he was creating this felt kit project and I could see like he, he would message me like his progress and ask me questions and I could see it like exponentially progressing. Like where like the first question was like he was having a tough time. And then all of a sudden the next question was way more, way more advanced and way more interesting. And then the next question was even more advanced and, and even more interesting. And then like you could see him understanding the concepts because he was building. And again, like it's really, really important. I want to hammer it down that like you can't get away from project based learning but you need to know when to jump in. Well, because you, you you find sort of hidden topics uh, when you are project-based learning. Like one to me, it, 
most recently, like literally yesterday, like you said, but literally at like four in the morning was so very recent <laughs> was um, I was having trouble. Like I just wanted to round like around a number because I'm doing some currency. So I'd wander around to two decimal places and I just didn't even think. And I just used two fixed and I was just, you know, going through and I was like, why the hell is this thing concatenating and not adding? And then it was like, oh, like, you know, you're probably one of your things is a string. And I was like, well, that makes sense. So I guess it's, you know, it's, it's I'm not using TypeScript. So I was like, OK, something's messed up. So I go looking, 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 and then I'm like, okay, well, I'm declaring this as a number. I don't know what the heck's going on. Um, and then eventually, eventually, like, cause I was asking Bing AI, I was Googling very little. And then eventually I found out like, oh my God, like two fixed is changing my number to a string. And I had no idea. And I, and I learned that cause I was using the, the type of method. And so now it's like, okay, now I have a tool that I can use to just do a quick check to see if something is a string or if something is a um, if something is a number. And I've used type up before, but completely forgot about it. And so it's just something where it just something as simple as me just rounding to make my currency look nice now has opened the door for my I can now check types and I can now sort of mess with that. And then I can now see the potential benefit of TypeScript even like it's a little thing that you'd never think you'd get caught up on. But then when I got caught up on, you know, you can get caught up for 10, 15 minutes, but then it's still something where it like opens that whole thing. So now I know, okay, type of, and that's what I'm doing. And I'm going to talk about actually some, some of the commenting methods that I'm using Mike saw today that I'm using in this project to help me like remember and learn those things as well. I'll talk about that later on in the episode actually, but um, for type for the type one analysis, uh, so basically type one is you're coupling the theoretical learning, so like the classes with examples and projects to reinforce the lessons, right? So type one analysis. So the theory and the hands-on mix appeals mostly to a couple learning styles, in my opinion. There's a, probably a lot more learning styles, but the ones that I've seen is learners that prefer theory and see the hands-on as practice to help reinforce their readings. So someone who will really benefit from, you know, they're, they're okay in a classroom. Uh, like they're, they're, they're fine with just sitting there sort of reading sort of the more boring part is what a lot of people will say, where they're sitting there listening to a lecture, what watching a video, doing a Udemy course, and then they're going and they're doing maybe a quiz that the Udemy person has given them or a project that free code camp has given them, uh, or even a little code playground that W3 schools or MDN has provided for them. And it's a nice little break. Then there's your other type of learner that maybe is okay, like they do learn from the theory, but they really find that boring and they see the hands on as almost a break. It's their practice period, but they're getting a break from that boring monotony of the book learning. And these type of people may start to lean toward type number two, but if they're completely lost, they've never done programming before, they've never done tech, they're probably going to land in doing the type number one. And that basically allows them to say, okay, you know, I'm able to learn from a book. I don't hate it so much that I'm not paying attention to the textbook. I'm not paying attention to the video. But now that reinforcement period, that practice period becomes relief for them. And in in my experience, because I do get bored on some topics like networking was holy Lord, like almost fall asleep in every single lecture, but learning the little bit, I was able to still learn a bunch, a bunch from the lecture. And then now that I, I'm like, okay, now we get to actually put it together. Now we're in the lab. Now we're working with routers and switches and those type of things. This was in college that really reinforced it. And the fact that I saw it as the better part of the class really, for me anyway, really reinforced the topic more than someone who, or more than other classes where I was okay with both the theory and the the practice. Because I actually remember a lot of networking, which I never thought I would, just because I saw it as such a big break. And this is just a little bit of a side note. This is probably why many schools, at least here in Canada, this is why many schools adopt this sort of hybrid system where there is hands-on and there is theory mixed together because it appeals at least partially to more than just theory learners. A lot of schools in the past uh, would, you know, obviously just have theory learn th- theory learning. You sit there, you go to, you know, you have the teacher lecture you or you read this or you do math problems out of a textbook and that's sort of it. Whereas now schools are starting to realize, hey, we should have co-op programs. We should have labs. Uh, if we have shop class, there's like a theory part where we learn how to use the router. And then they, we go and do the woodworking and you use the router. You use the saw. You use whatever you learned. It reinforces it and it does help. This is including programming classes as well. Maybe you're in a classroom for a bit, then you transfer over to a computer lab and you start trying to build what you were just taught. 
you're spending your time in type one. You're spending your time reading about a topic and then you're doing an example. Rinse, repeat. So you, that repetition in sort of process is also what drives it home. The fact that there is the hands-on driving at home helps, obviously, but the fact that you're in that routine, okay, I'll learn about the displays, the CSS display property, then I'll go and play with it. Then I'll learn about the opacity property, and then I'll go and play with it. Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And this goes for JavaScript as well. There's tons of methods. There's tons of different ways to do things. There's the types, like we already mentioned. Uh, there's all these type of things. And so you can, and you can see this type of learning like directly right on the webpage on W3 schools and free code camp. If you enroll and you mess with, let's say the HTML, um, if you mess with the HTML, I think it's one of the first courses I took on there was I didn't complete it. I was just kind of playing with it years into my career, but I did a few of the lessons on HTML and there was some hands on, there was some reading and it's like, this is what this does in HTML. Now let's try it. That sort of the repetition and the fact that it, you're, there's practice in the theory Mixed with the theory is really, really drives it home. And if you don't want to mess around. So if you are a person that goes, you know what? Like I want to get a job in web development and I just, I don't want to mess around anymore. Like I've looked up, what do I learn? I'm seeing React, I'm seeing Svelte, I'm seeing CSS, I'm seeing JavaScript. I'm seeing people say we should use ES6 methods instead of using React. Well, React is good for this. Oh, well, this is bad for accessibility, but actually in some cases it's better for accessibility because you're using a plugin. Well, let's use WordPress. Well, WordPress is insecure because it's PHP and you just see everyone's opinions and you're just getting all this noise and it's like, what do we do? Type number one includes complete programs. These include programs from traditional schools as well as online courses, whether that's free on YouTube, free code camp, or it's on Udemy, for example. And these courses provide you with this type of learning 90% of the time. Some of them are just theory, but most of the time it's here's some theory, here's some theory, here's some theory. Now go try this. Here's some theory, here's some theory. Here's a little quiz. Here's some theory. Now go try this. Those type of things. And sometimes they even provide you with a portfolio as well. If you're making projects that are portfolio worthy, even though everyone's going to have mostly the same portfolio, it still shows an employer, hey, I made this to-do app, which is a very common one. Hey, I made this I made this slider. I made this animated ball that bounces around in CSS. So I want to be a front-end developer. Isn't this cool? Those type of things will show an employer, hey, yeah, like they made this. So that they didn't just like read about how to bounce a ball around in CSS out of a textbook, for example. It's yeah. And the other thing that I could see popping up in people's minds when they're seeing this like approach of theory and project is when to switch from theory to project. And the the answer is, is like initially what's going to happen is you're going to be heavily focused on theory and you're then you're going to jump into project. Right. And you're going to figure out where like where that line is for yourself. That's it's different for everyone where they've had enough theory and they're ready to move on and try to actually implement it. On the, in, at, like the first time you do it, you're going to probably overshoot on the theory. You're going to do too much learning, not enough project. As you start to understand that, hey, I'm not retaining this information, I should do smaller chunks. So like I learned HTML, right? Like maybe I should just immediately like throw some HTML together on a page and see how it looks in the browser. Right. Like me, I learned a little bit of CSS. I learned the Flexbox property and how to do justification and center something. Maybe I should just go and directly try to implement that in, in the browser. Right. Initially, what you're probably going to end up doing is, uh, HTML, CSS, and then maybe even a little bit of JavaScript and pure theory. And you're going to try to put it all together in like a small application and it's going to overwhelm you. And that's when you're going to learn that like, Hey, this is too much. I need to go down size on how much theory I'm trying to implement. So you need to find out for yourself where that balance is for you, but know that it is okay to overshoot on either end initially because you're learning how you're going to be approaching this method first. You know, what? I was going to say this for later in the show, but I'll mention this now. And it's the new way I'm doing comments um, for myself. So this is specifically on learning projects. And what I find is like a lot of beginners, including myself, will like try to not comment much because I'm always because of my 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 nature. It's in my nature to comment things because everything's sort of new, especially when I'm talking about Svelte So I'm going to Svelte sort of like, OK, this is new. This is new. This is new. So I have to I'm thinking I have to clarify all this because that's what comments are for. They're for clarification. They're for easy labeling, those type of things. And so I'm not commenting and my, my instinct is to comment. So I'm fighting that instinct. I'm now I'm not commenting. And then I leave the project for a day or two, a week or two, come back. And I have no idea what the heck's going on. And so what that leads me to do is it leads me to go into theory 
And I, it leads me to really like try to drill the theory into my head. Like I have to remember what type of, I have to remember type of, I have to remember type of as an example in JavaScript. I have to remember that. I have to remember what it does. And I'm never going to like, that's not the way to memorize it is just to like keep reading it, reading it, reading it. And it's delaying my project based learning. It's delaying my hands on. So what I started doing is I just started literally writing like school based notes in these learning projects. These are not production projects, even if they were, I mean, who's reading the comments other than programmers. It's not going to break the project. And I literally like Mike the other day told me, you know, Hey, you can do it this way. And then I, I, I didn't really understand. So I told him cause you were taking off and I was like, okay, I'm just going to read about this. And then a bunch of people were doing it this other way. So I just tested it both ways. Both ways worked. And I thought, okay, well, both ways are valuable. So I literally made a note and it's like a school note where I literally say this, like, this is this line replaces these two lines. But I think Mike and I had a conversation. It's like, this one's less performant, blah, 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 whatever. There's the other two lines in my comment. That's quote unquote bad commenting when it comes to working with other programmers and working on a production project, maybe for a client. But this is a learning project. And now I don't need to sit there and try to memorize it, memorize it, memorize it. What it was was the spread operator versus using a couple other lines. And instead of me sitting there being like, I really have to memorize this. Now, when I see the spread, I'm like, what's that? I have a note now right there in my own words and an example of how to do it the old way, which is the older way that I would have done it um, without having researched this. That's the older way that I would have done it is that's like. That is in my own words. So it's it's super valuable to me because I'm going to look at it be like, OK, cool, moving on, moving on. And it kind of keeps you moving. And then having I'm sure I'm going to end up reading that comment about 40 times because I'm going to forget. And then I now know two methods to do it. One is more performant. The one I implemented is less performant, but I didn't need the performance. What does the spread operator do? And it explains it. And so I don't know if that's going to help anyone out there. But don't if it's if you're just learning on something, just make School, like make school notes in your comments, because for me, it's super helpful. I just started doing it literally yesterday and I've referred to that note at least three times. So just a small tip uh, for that. Type number two, however, the analysis for type number two. So this is when you're you have probably little to no experience. You might have some and you just instead of reading a book, instead of reading a textbook, instead of taking a course, you just hit the ground running and you go right for it. And the, the sort of classic uh, type number two for project-based learning is the glue, the Google prompt. Someone literally goes to Google and types in how to make a website. And then they click on a guide. And as long as the guide's okay, they just go with that guide. Usually it's the first guide and then that's it. They just go with it. This is coupled with a mass amount of trial and error. And these, this type of learning usually ref- will refer to theory as everything pro- does at some point, but it only refers to theory occasionally. You only sort of look at theory and go, hey, like, you know, I really, really don't understand this. Like, I've been copying code snippets. I've been following this guide and I'm seeing this. I'm seeing this uh, this rounding thing like math.round. And I don't know what the difference between that and two fixed is. Like, what is this? And so then then they refer to the theory and they learn one makes it a string. One doesn't. One does this. One does that. That's when they learn that. And so th- those type of. Those type of like theory interactions are usually like few and far between. Usually you're halfway down a page and there's just something sort of nagging at you or you're really stuck on something. Um, oftentimes too, so the Google searches, so as anything else, as you're going through, especially if you're new, you followed your guide on how to make a website, but that guide didn't have a slider. You need a slider. So now your next Google search is how do I make a slider? And so your Google searches as you go through, if you're doing this sort of type two learning here, is you are Google searching less about theory. You're not you're not typing in, you know, what is display in CSS? Like, what is the display property? What is the opacity property? Um, what is the filter property? What does it do? You're, you're more Googling a goal. How do I add a forum to my site? How do I add a slider to my site? What is a slider? <laughs> Those type of things. Uh, what is the difference between a carousel and a slider? Are there differences? You're doing more goal-oriented and more say product or project oriented Google searches versus someone who is trying to learn, let's say the craft of web development. And then they go, well, I know I need CSS here. I want to animate this a little bit. So what is this property? How do I use the keyframes? Those type of things. This type of learning is probably best if you really like a lot of trial and error, specifically if you like tinkering with things, if you like to you know mess around with it, mess around with it to try to get it to work. 
And a lot of people will learn things like that where they just tinker with it, tinker with it, tinker with it. And it's like, okay, cool. Then they master the lines. So like, let's say they don't know what a function is. They master the lines inside the function. Then they go, well, what the heck's a function? Like, what's this function doing? They, they've been messing with a function the whole time, but they have no idea what the function is. So once they get bored or they've learned everything they can by tinkering what's in between the lines of a function, now they might look up what a function is. And then they'll learn about arrow functions. And that's how they're learning. And this type of learning is great for, and this is not, this is not an exhaustive list, but for people that have like experience, they come from tech, maybe they come from uh, making desktop apps or they've worked in some sort of networking or whatever. They have like experience to the point where they can hit the ground running because learning like a website is developed with HTML, like it's too slow and they're already past that. So they're going to hit the project hard and try to kind of go through. Also, for those in a hurry, for those in a hurry to learn, which isn't great, but there are people that are in a hurry to learn. They want to learn and then they want to earn. Basically, they want to get a job quickly. So this, if you're if you can self-teach, uh, it can be the, one of the quickest ways to get things done, especially since it's resulting in if you complete small projects, it's resulting in portfolio pieces. You might immediately just start developing portfolio pieces for yourself, and that might help you get a job faster, depending on how how well how well you self-teach how quickly you're grasping the topics. This is also the case for people that are trying to make a one-off project. So they're in a hurry. They just want to make the project. They're not here. If, if they could snap the project into existence uh, for, for free, they would do it, right? But they don't want to hire a development team for whatever reason. So they're just trying to make the one-off project and they're not there to learn all the theory. The, uh, this one, it's redundant, but those that can self-teach, obviously you're going to have to self-teach yourself because you're going through and you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. You're following guides and you're Googling things also. And we're going to actually dive into this more in more depth in the next segment, but good Googling skills. We've mentioned Googling skills before uh, on the show several times because Googling is actually a skill, but I have a breakdown where if you have Google with context, meaning you understand web development and tech and for people who don't have context, that's different experience. And I do actually want to talk about that. And the last one is, Sort of the stereotypical entrepreneurial type where they are really learning based on a goal. They do not want to spend time just learning. And then at the end of their course, they have a 0% complete on whatever it is they're working on. Sometimes these people are just trying to make a real quick tool. Maybe they're organizing a huge event and they need to make a real quick web app. They'll do a quick and dirty web app real quick. Project-based learning. Set it up. Deploy it. Boom. Now there's a little app for... There's a little web app for the event that they're running because they're an entrepreneur in the event space and they just don't have the margin or the budget to hire someone to make them a little web app. Boom, they're done and that's it. So somebody who is really sort of rapid pace and it's just sort of like I'll do it and they just take it but take it and take the problem and just sort of wrestle it to the ground that those type of those type of people will or those type of situations will usually fall into the number two of this type. This one is a tricky one as well. If you're going at it from scratch, like zero programming ability, and you, you know, essentially what Matt said, type in how to make a website into Google, you're going to find that the initial stuff is all going to be SEO. Everyone is competing for that keyword, and you're not necessarily going to get the best guy. Like if you're looking to build a website from scratch in, in the sense that you don't want to use a no-code builder, Right. Like because the first the first things that are going to pop up are going to be Wix and Squarespace. I, I can guarantee you that maybe Webflow is going to be there, stuff like that. If that's not your goal and you're trying to find an actual guide on how to create a website from scratch, you're going to get either something that's too complex, something that's too old, something that's too simple. You won't know what you're getting. You won't have any context. And Matt's going to talk about Googling with context and without. But like the context is the most important part in the situation. So you might be going down the wrong path without knowing it. And that's the, that's the real scary thing. If this is your like chance at livelihood or your idea to make a million dollars or your idea to you know get a new job, you really have to be careful with this type of learning where you don't have a, a base knowledge reference to know if you're learning the wrong or right thing. The SEO angle is actually very important to talk about, too, because so many people are looking to make a website and they're looking to, you know, put ads on there, get sponsored posts, get guest posts, whatever. They're trying to monetize the site, really. And so a lot of people are 100 percent spending time in SEO because 
we already mentioned the sort of breaking down web development in front end, back end, you know, infrastructure, networking, all that stuff. Those are just the technical pieces. SEO is a huge piece that is so big these days that marketing agencies that don't even do websites, meaning they don't make websites, they don't mess around with that, are literally just doing SEO. And that's all they maybe not all they do, but that's a part of their marketing because SEO is its own beast now. And yes, web development agencies that are more technical will generally understand SEO, but you can specialize in SEO. You can just become an SEO specialist and make money being a consultant or helping people with their keywords or whatever else, doing all kinds of marketing. That's absolutely something that would show up when that might show up, depending on whatever search engine you're using. When you type in, how do I make a website? Because that is how to make a website for them. And they might just tell you, oh, quickly go on Squarespace. And, you know, set everything up and they just kind of brush all that stuff aside, like the whole development process, the whole putting together process. If it's a no code tool, they're brushing all that aside and they're just, all right, let's get let's get down to business with SEO. And that's what they're that's their work part. And so it absolutely a good point that Mike made there. Um, so with after this analysis, I, I wanted to break down three skills uh, that are good for either type one project based learning or type two project based learning. These are skills that I think pretty well anyone's going to use if they're doing any sort of project-based learning or just even learning. And that is, the first one here, is the ability to continually self-learn, self-teach, whatever you want to say. So even if you took a course, you're a person that, you know, you wanted, you didn't want to mess around. You said, I want to take a Udemy course. I want to learn Svelte. Boom. I now know Svelte. I have some projects. I'm good to go. Doesn't matter. Even if you took that course, you're going to run into issues that aren't in the course materials. Felt's going to update, whatever. You're going to get hired to do something in React or something. And so you're going to have to continually be able to learn new things. Doesn't mean that every single day you need to like look up something you don't understand and then try to learn it. Although some people do do that. There, there's, there's a case to be made for, you know, doing that type of thing, but you're going to end up doing it in your normal workday. You're going to be working away. All of a sudden, something's not going to add up. Something's not going to subtract or divide or something's not, some algorithm's not going to work or a slider is going to suddenly start not working. And you're going to be like, what is going on? And without even you manually going out looking for something to learn, you're going to run into issues. You're going to have to Google that problem and you're going to learn how to troubleshoot that, fix that, move that around, whatever. Next thing here is the breakdown on Googling skills. So two sort of subheadings to this, Googling with context and Googling with no context. I'll go to the first one, Googling with context. If you're from a like field, then you will find Googling programming topics more than likely you'll find them easier than if you never searched anything else up related. You know how to phrase questions. You know how to change those queries. And when you're Googling something, usually you drill down. So you're like, uh, my, my, my carousel isn't working. Then you figure out, then you go look at a couple forum posts, a couple things. People talk about CSS animations. You're like, well, it does sound like the animations are the thing that's broken. Let's look up CSS animations. All right. Well, CSS animations is a bit too broad. Okay. Let's look up CSS animation problems with this particular thing. Oh, it looks like someone else has the same problem as me and it's due to this PHP version. Okay. Well, let me take a look and how do I update my PHP version? And so you're drilling down and you're changing your search query, drilling to the solution effectively, right? You can think of it like that. If you have context and you generally understand technology, you're probably going to have more concise queries. You're going to actually ask the questions properly. Not always. That's not always the case, of course. But you're going to you're going to be able to phrase the questions different or you're going to be able to take bigger steps down. You're going to do your first query and then you're going to be able to go like multiple steps down and you might be like one query away. There's three queries total. You're on the second one. Whereas when you're Googling with no context, meaning you've never Googled anything for tech, you don't know anything about programming. You don't know anything. You're going to be phrasing things incorrectly. You're going to be using the wrong terminology. And when you start drilling down, you are you might start at level 100 and you might have to start drilling down one by one by one and do 100 queries to figure out. That's, that's obviously exaggerating a bit, hopefully, but you might be really, really struggling to find what you want because you don't know how to ask it. They're saying things like you might they might say CSS animation. You have no idea what CSS is. Now you're like, well, I don't think I have that. <laughs> and so you pass on and then you realize like, well, what is CSS animation? You see how it's starting to now go into different into different tangents and you're starting to, 
like, what is CSS? Oh, do I have CSS? Like, <laughs> and, it, and it's really like you're going to start messing things up. I mean, that's fine. Like you're, you're Googling is a skill that needs to be practiced. And many people started or everyone started with Googling with no context. But Googling is really like this, I think, breakdown sort of highlights why it's important to exercise and learn how to Google things. Because instead of you doing 10 queries, reading 10 articles, you might be down to three if you really start to learn things. And so having context, having uh, a like search, searchable experience, I guess, can really help you because you might be like, well, is CSS a server thing? Like that's something that somebody else might Google and probably has today. Is CSS a a Google, is is CSS a, a server thing? And then it's like, well, no, it's on the client. It's like, well, my client doesn't have CSS. <laughs> you know, like they have no idea what the heck is going on. Like somebody without context is really, really not going to know what's going on. It's going to mess up their Google searches. And the last one ties into that Googling with no context is if you drill down those 100 layers, you did 100 search queries to solve your problem, you have probably you're pretty de- you're pretty determined. And so determination is the last one. So even if you decide that you're going to take on a course and you're going to take on some projects sprinkled in there and you're, you know, the course, you know, it's not going to cover everything, but you're like, no, it'll be fine. I'm going to keep going, 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 going. You're getting good grades. Let's say if it's traditional school and all of a sudden you get stuck on something and you didn't even consider it this thing to be difficult. You're programming something up for school and you're like, what the heck is going on here? These numbers won't add together. This slider won't turn. Like what is going on? The termination is where it gets difficult because you're like, I have no notes on this. This isn't even something I realized I could get stuck on. This isn't even a problem that I saw coming. What do I do? And so you have to kind of get over that hump and just be determined to get over it by by consistently Googling, by consistently looking for things, asking mentors, asking whatever to try to get to it. And maybe sometimes, you know, you're not doing the best method. So what I mean by that is you're determined to get over this. And you've spent hours and hours and hours trying to get your slider to animate and you just can't do it. So you might have to brute force it to get over it because, you know, this thing is due for school or whatever. And so you implement a workaround and it might not be the best thing. It might not give you the best grade, but workarounds are a real world skill. Like designing and using workarounds are a real world skill. Should you be doing it on the onset? Like should you be doing it right away when you're engineering a project? No, ideally not. But when a project's out in the wild and it says, well, we're going to have to take the server down for six hours to fix this problem or we could do this workaround. Well, you're going to probably do the workaround. So applying, learning how to do and implementing workarounds is a real world skill. You might not get the best grade with it, but it's absolutely something that's important to production level projects. And that's a part of determination is you're brute forcing. You're saying, I've spent enough time trying to get this damn thing to animate. I'm going to animate it with JavaScript instead of CSS to heck with this. And you go and do that. Maybe it works and there you go. And then in the real world, you know, if as long as it's performant and it works okay, most clients aren't going to know. And that's it. You've done your workaround. Mike and I famously or maybe infamously had done a workaround one time where uh, we had a whole bunch, a whole bunch of embedded um, iframes. It was a whole bunch of YouTube videos. And we were using one of uh, Google's like arguments, one of the attributes, whatever, that you can use alongside. And they discontinued one. We never thought anything of it. And then it started started coming up that it literally wouldn't, pl- wouldn't embed the video if you had it. And that was sort of a sudden thing. And it's like, well, this, there, you know, it's on hundreds of pages. There's hundreds and hundreds of pages. We're going to have to sift through all these, find these videos. They're they're unlisted or private or whatever. So now we don't know where the links are. We're going to have to go through. the, And it's a big mess. So we said, OK, you know, we're going to have to do a little bit of maintenance here. And we're going to have to go through and have a script that comes in and changes all of these iframes, but we're not going to do that today because it's too risky. We need this done quickly. So we just went into JS and I think you, Mike, you like did it. So like whenever it detected an iframe with that property, you regenerated it exactly except for with that little argument, that little attribute. And then all the videos work. Is that a workaround? Absolutely. Did we fix it later? Yes. But a bandaid effect allowed it was in this case, it was students allowed the students to continue doing their job, learning things. And it allowed us to go, okay, good, cool. Now, when we work with our backend developer guy, he'll go in, he'll go in, fix it, do whatever he needs to do. The Band-Aid worked. Take the Band-Aid off now that the, now that it's fixed. Boom, done. Just to like kind of reiterate the determination point and add to it a little bit. I think you also have to be 
really comfortable with failure. And I'm going to have a whole other episode on this shortly, but really realistically during your project-based learning, you're going to have a lot of points where like you fail. So the implementation that you chose was wrong. The, uh, the entire project idea that you, that you had, maybe you were thinking too far ahead. So you have to bring it back. That's, it can be considered a failure, but you have to be okay with that. We're conditioned as people to be afraid of failure and you're conditioned throughout all of school that you're going, that you shouldn't fail, that you should get good grades, all that stuff. But the reality is, is that we learn just as much from failure, if not more than from our success. The point of failure is to make sure that you don't do it twice. Okay. That's what you should think. If you fail, great. You found the, the method that's not going to work. That's a learning ability. Then you take that and you try something else. Now you could fail at something else in the same method, but you're not doing the same thing twice. And therefore you are learning, you're progressing. That's the way you should think about it. It's really important to embrace this fact because if you're afraid of it, and if it's going to stop you, if you're going to lose that determination because you did something wrong, you are not going to make it very far in this in this world, like in, in the project-based learning and tech in general and probably a lot of other uh, industries. You need to be okay with failure on this. I think the thing there too is like with, with traditional school, like I'll use literally the passive income project I'm doing for full stack struggles as an example. So yesterday we or like before yesterday, so the, the project as it stood at the beginning of yesterday – was we had com- one component per um, field, and then we were dynamically creating, we were dynamically creating forms, and that was like a big thing that took a lot of engineering. You helped me a bunch with that because I didn't understand what the heck was going on, and it really taught me like what Svelte can do, at least in this in this one problem. Because I was like, man, like in JavaScript, this would be a real pain, right? Like I can do it, but it would be a real pain in vanilla. So then Mike shows me how to do it. And then we learn, like, later on, we're like, you know what? Like, we should probably have one component per form because even though some of the form fields are redundant, the what we're typing in is very specific. And we're going to have to have so many props and so many customizations that it's going to get super confusing. Instead, we're, you know, we're importing a component that has three fields. These aren't huge forms. It doesn't need to be super performant. Let's do it this way. And so I went in and refactored it yesterday and then i ended up keeping a part of the system that we made because i have one option in there for making a custom form which i'm probably going to mess around with maybe with a settings menu you can make your own custom form and so you could say that's a failure because you're like man you had to go and rip it down and if i had to hand that in at school maybe they would say hey you're not doing the the correct way or you're not doing it the most efficient way here's a here's a 60 percent or something which doesn't feel great Maybe that's what they would give me. But the thing is, is like in real life, it's like, okay, cool. So now I have this idea, which I never didn't have before for a custom form thing. I've learned a whole bunch about Svelte and Svelte Kit, specifically Svelte in this particular case. I learned a whole bunch about that. And I was able to learn enough about that with my exposure to that, doing that part of the engineering as well as some other things in order. So I, I refactored that in under a day, completely refactored it, completely redid it, and I ended up implementing a whole bunch of other things as well. And so like that's a huge progress day. And that progress was brought, brought because, brought in because uh, of the quote unquote failure. And when you're not in school, you're not really getting graded. It doesn't really feel like a failure. Like it's just sort of like, oh, that didn't work. And you just go and you just you just go and you fix it. Like if you were going into your car and you actually dropped your car keys, like are you? Is that it? Like you failed for the day. you failed for the day. Like you're not allowed to go pick them up and go start the vehicle. Now you're not allowed to get in. It's like, well, there goes that. You just leave the car keys there. Someone takes the car. It's like I failed my car. I failed my vehicle. It's over. Like, you know, and and so like school is weird in that there's like those 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 check ins, those hand ins. Like you're handing in assignments, you're handing in worksheets where you know you weren't quite there, but you were getting there, and you get that sixty or you get that forty or whatever percent you get, and it doesn't feel good, but at the same time, it's like those are necessary. Like those are. In real world, you just sort of go like, damn, that didn't work. And you keep moving. That's it. That's the whole that's the whole thing. So the very last thing we haven't mentioned, we mentioned JavaScript here and there, but like, can you learn JavaScript through only project based learning? So the next qu- it's, it's the question, it's the title of the show, the title of the episode, it's the, it's the main question of the day. And the reason why I, I, I targeted JavaScript is because. JavaScript is probably out of the three pillars that we always preach, HTML, CSS, JS, it's the most complex. A lot of people will, you know, struggle with HTML, but they'll figure it out. Struggle with CSS, and then they'll figure it out. And then they get to JavaScript and they go, oh, here we go. 
And JavaScript will almost always cr- like crop up if you're looking up a vanilla project. If you're like, I want to make a vanilla project, I'm going to go try to build something. Well, unless you're just laying it out, generally speaking, you're going to be messing with JavaScript. And once people see loops, if you've never seen program before, you're be like, what is a loop? Like, why would you need a loop? What is this? Like, what is a conditional statement? Like, what do you mean by a conditional statement? What do you mean by it's making decisions? Like, it, it's a it's a mess for them, right? And so it's it's the it's the first sort of major roadblock for a lot of people when it comes to web development. So, can you learn JavaScript through only project based learning? I think yes. There's some nuance here though. So, yes, you can learn JavaScript through only project based learning if you enjoy tinkering and trial and error, which the two go hand in hand, of course. You're ready to fight through those issues and persevere through the whole project into completion. You want to complete that project to where it's supposed to be. It's a learning project. It doesn't have to be, you know, a SAS or something. It can be literally like, I wanted to make sure this calculator added numbers together and it does. Cool. Project complete. So persevere through completion and you're able to self-teach. You're able to be disciplined enough to read theory when you need it, work on the project when you when you need it. Research things that you're not quite sure of, make proper notes, make proper comments to ensure you know what's going on, those type of things. But if you're trying to do project-based learning to learn, you're going to – if you're trying to learn it right at the get-go, if you're trying to learn it and you don't have foundational knowledge, I'm like hesitant to say yes because having knowledge in computer programming, how computer logic works – how what we used to always we were always told in, in in high school was thinking like a computer or breaking down a problem into computer language. If you don't know that, going right into web development, and this is where the whole JavaScript getting stuck in JavaScript really kind of holds true, is because I've come, Mike and I have come from using C and embedded. We've done a little bit of web development in college as well, like directly. I've done a little web development, a little V basic, a little Q basic. So I generally understand before I even started making websites, I generally understood what was going on. So when I start learning JavaScript years ago, it's like, oh, there's ifs, there's loops, there's this, there's that, there's variables. Cool. And I'm able to, like, I know what those things are. So if you're coming at it and you're just, you have no knowledge and you just want to learn as quickly as possible, I think that it's going to be an iffy one like you might want to go type one where you do a little bit of theory at the very least to learn general computing concepts and and programming logic computer logic i think those that might be one case where it's going to be really difficult can you do it more than likely most most people persevere through things and this is again all of this is just my opinion but it's going to be really really difficult is this my preferred way for you to learn javascript i would say no so my preference is being, and this is assuming you're self-teaching, but you're, 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 you're self-teaching yourself and you're doing the mixed methods. You're doing type number one, but you're doing it with fluidity. So you're not locking it down saying I'm doing 50% theory, 50% project. Maybe that's the case. Maybe, maybe that, that works for you, but maybe you need more theory. You need 70% theory and 30% project. Okay, cool. Maybe you need, you know, 20% theory and you just understand it right away. Or you just can't remember it. You read it and then you immediately forget it. Well, maybe you need 20% theory, 80% project so that you can really reinforce that and write comments and do notes and, and try to do the practice to remember it. Right. So whenever, like, like I start working on a project and then when I get stuck, this is how I do it. I stop and I look up the topic, but I don't stop there usually. So I'm not doing the, my, my, my slider doesn't work query. I'm going around. And like I said, with yesterday, when I was talking to Mike, I got stuck on something and he said, you know, you can do it in these two ways, but like one's different than whatever. So I said, okay, I'm going to read up on this. And so I stopped. I looked up the concepts. I read the concepts, made a note, made some, I got, got my understanding in line. That's very theory based, very theory based. It's almost like reading a textbook. I was reading MDN, reading those type of things, reading about it, going, okay, cool. Like I, gen- like I understand this enough to make a note for myself. Then I will continue on. That's how I do this. This is my preference when learning. And lately, like I said, I've been like putting in full on class notes in my comments. I've said this a bunch of times. I'm not going to go into it again, but I do seriously recommend this if you're, if you're doing a learning project, because you can always just get rid of your comments later, but I've already referred to it three, four times and it's a huge game changer for me. And I just started it yesterday. For me, I have pretty much the same answer as Matt. 
So I'm not going to go too, too deep into it. So yes, you can technically learn JavaScript through only project-based learning, right? My preference in project-based learning would be definitely the type one, if I was going to suggest. But, and again, this is the same kind of but that Matt would have. You you do need to have some foundational knowledge if you want to have a better core base on what on which to build on, right? Like if you understand the basic concepts of JavaScript before you dive into your first JavaScript project, you'll understand how to properly build it initially. You're still going to screw up no matter what. You're still not going to choose the exact right path, but you'll have a better base and a better chance at progressing in the kind of right direction. If you go deep into a project directly and you start just grasping again at different code snippets and putting them all together, the chances are that there's going to be something there that's going to trip you up to the point where you're either going to have to restart or try to like completely, you know, rewrite an entire module. And yes, in that process of restarting and refactoring on a consistent basis, you are going to learn a ton, no matter what. But the reality is, is that you could have gone through it in a little bit more of an easier way, if you had that foundational knowledge. So type one, type one learning in here, the project based learning where you go through and learn a little bit theory and then implement that theory is the best way to learn. Right. Like that's how you that's for me, at least like everyone's different. But for me, that's how I would recommend people learn is just do a little bit of theory and go to the uh, go to the project. And as you progress, the amount of theory that you need is going to go down most likely. So, for instance, for me, when I try to learn a new framework now, I'm probably closer to type two because I already have a very good grasp on the fundamental concepts of JavaScript and of framework technologies. So what I do is I use the documentation for the most part as my basis in what I want to use, like what I want to build. And I will just implement the stuff in the documentation of whatever framework or technology that I'm learning. And as soon as I hit a wall at that point, then I go in and try to find a guide that kind of teaches me how to get past that wall. Okay, so I'll jump in a lot faster now, but that's because I went through a lot of type one analysis type stuff or type one learning where I did a lot of theory and a lot of building at the same time. So as you progress, you're going to get better. You're going to build faster. I mean, a lot of this, which is like super interesting, a lot of this is stuff that rings true because of full stack struggles. And I think it's like it, it kind of reinstates the importance of going through this process, especially for me, having, you know, sort of dated knowledge or more like small to medium business web development knowledge uh, with WordPress and Webflow and custom sites and couch CMS and those type of things um, is sort of like this is sort of a, a a new fangled way to do this and a new fangled way to like make make projects. And as I'm going through the full stack struggles thing, it like the the, the project and producing it, it all this stuff is, is ringing true and I'm like seeing so much about it. And like, there's only been two episodes so far. There's been two episodes, and like four coding sessions, you know, it's not. And so I think, I think that, you know, project-based learning, absolutely just to sort of like capstone the episode is absolutely important. Like I'm doing it and I do have context for web development, obviously. Um, but I think that it's going to really like, a maybe like as a, as a closing statement, you could really say that, you can like just let yourself learn it. Just don't go too hard. Like I was trying to go super hard, be like, I'm just going to get this. I'm just going to get this. I'm just going to get this. It's not. And then like every time you hit a roadblock, it's like a big problem. It's like, just let yourself learn it. Like go in. And if you get stuck on a stupid layout problem, I mean, you're going to get stuck on that layout problem every time unless you, unless you fix it now. So like go in and like try to fix it. And like, then you'll learn about CSS and you'll learn about types. If you had a problem with adding numbers or whatever, in JavaScript, and you'll learn those little things. And now you'll know that. And you might forget it. You're not going to remember, remember everything. But this is like, it's almost like project-based learning just kind of lets you learn. And just as long as you go at it at pace and you just keep going and you have the perseverance and you have the determination, like you'll, you don't need to go like super hard and stay up all night, which I did yesterday. But um, you don't need to do that if you don't want. And just kind of like let yourself learn it. And as long as you have a bit of self-teaching skills, you'll slowly get the context, the ideas, and hopefully it will all come together. But that concludes this week's episode. 
And before we do that, we want to thank our three dollar tier patrons: Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Tim from the Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com, Bib Hash Dash from Nine Block Media, nineblockmedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from Yesweb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Fire Ant Season via FireAntSeason.com and Gunner Brunette via GunnerBrunette.com and a returning Patreon. So thank you, Watoto Coding via WatotoCoding.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off.